It was just, um, it was a website, cleverbot.com. And you would just like talk to Cleverbot. And one time, like they would have like Cleverbots talk to each other. It was, it was so much fun. This was like a, a Y2K stable. I'm a little bit older than Mario. I'm a 1996 baby. So I remember Cleverbot. My name is Adela Kochav. And I'm Mario Mwaba. We are the Daughters of Diaspora. And this is Americanish. Welcome back to Americanish. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about chat GPT, AI, and technology. From answering your questions and just chatting with a bot to writing poetry, creating beautiful, unique art, AI is definitely evolving. Chat generative pre-trained transformer, what we call chat GPT, is a chat bot launched by OpenAI late last year. ChatGPT was launched as a prototype on November 30th of 2022 and quickly became the topic of many conversations across social and mainstream media. Its coherent, nuanced, and articulate responses across many domains of knowledge surprised and impressed anyone and everyone who used it. Just a few weeks later, OpenAI, the American Artificial Intelligence Research Laboratory that created ChatGPT, was valued at over $29 billion. Mm. Adela, I feel like we always have to give this disclaimer, uh, Mm -hmm. but we just want to be very clear that in this short episode, we're going to talk about a very complicated topic, so we are bound to miss something. And with that being said, um, there are three major questions we want to address in the next hour, and for our audience, you'll probably find that we ask more questions than we answer, um, but that's just due to the nature of the ever-evolving state of this topic of AI and chatbots. Yeah. So the first question that we want to tackle here is what are chatbots and what are the primary benefits and risk factors? Um, Of course, there are endless, endless benefits. Uh, It's it's been extremely helpful in customer service and rendering architectural prototypes and problem solving algorithms. Pretty much everywhere you turn these days, there's something generated by AI. And you see this like all the time, especially in the service industry right now. I I can't remember the last time that I made a reservation without the Google Assistant using AI to call in to the restaurant and make the reservation for me, right? Um, Every single time you try to chat with a business, next thing you know, you're chatting with a bot, right? You're not actually talking to a real human. Um, You know, another, so benefit is comfort, right? You have all this new service industry. Um, The benefit for me, of course, is the fun. (laughs) Um, Most of the people who use AI that don't use it for business purposes are using it for fun, right? So I don't know if you guys remember in Y2K, there was something called Cleverbot. Actually, Mariam had never heard about this. You never heard about Cleverbot. No. Okay. No. If you're listening to this, can you just drop a line, drop a comment somewhere, or just like DM us and be like, I remember Cleverbot. Cleverbot was so much fun. It was like one of the first AI chatbots that went mainstream. And back in Y2K, we used to all sit at our friend's house during sleepovers and talk to Cleverbot and be like, do your feet smell bad? And the Cleverbot would be like, I am a computer. I do not have feet. And we'd be like, oh my God, it answered. It's like what kids started doing with Siri and things like that, mm. asking it stupid questions. Um, so that's Would you do obviously- this on your phone? Was it like a, a Google search bar or something? Yeah, it was just, um, it was a website, cleverbot.com. And you would just like talk to Cleverbot. And one time, like they would have like Cleverbots talk to each other. It was, it was so much fun. This was like a, a Y2K stable. I'm a little bit older than Mario. I'm a 1996 baby. So I remember Cleverbot. Um, Do you know if it's still up? Should we check if it's still it definitely, operating? It definitely is still up. It's definitely okay. up. Like there, there's no way out. they took Cleverbot down. 
And if oh, they did, it then really the child is. would die. Yeah, it, it is. If you open the website and it says may not be suitable for children. So we're just going <laughs> to close that well, out. I exclusively used another child. So yeah. um, interesting. I wonder what people have been using Cleverbot for. But bottom line, um, there's a lot of fun, uh, you know, AI portraits. Um, but again, outside of the the comfort that AI brings, the, the ease and business that AI brings, and the fun that AI brings, there are a lot of questions and risk factors. Mariam, can you tell us about some of the risks? Absolutely. There's probably a laundry list of some of the risks posed by AI and things like chatbots. Um, and I'll kind of go through some of them right now. We won't, we'll get a little bit more into detail on some more than others, but uh, I'll start with the automation spur job loss. That's always been a big question with AI, especially uh, before things like chatbots, just automation, like things being automated. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, there was uh, people getting laid off in the automobile industry because a lot of putting parts together for the process of making an automobile became automated. Therefore, you didn't need 100 people working in a factory. And all you needed was to buy two machines that put these two pieces of hardware together. Um so any technology adopted industry like marketing, manufacturing, healthcare, there's some, some somewhere between 85 million jobs were expected to be lost between 2020 and 2025 due to mm-hmm. automation with black and Latino employees feeling left especially vulnerable due to uh, these jobs being manual labor. Um, obviously, privacy violations, facial recognition software um, are being used in places like China and very early reports of uh, that software being imported to other places of the world, particularly the the Gulf. Um, th- those are mm-hmm. unconfirmed reports, things I've heard across different platforms and intelligence communities. But it seems like China is not keeping this uh, facial recognition software to itself, but rather mm-hmm. selling it off to other places. Uh, third, obviously, socioeconomic and racial inequity. And a great example of where we see that is the U.S. police departments have been embracing what they're calling predictive policing algorithms to anticipate where crimes will occur. Sounds mm. bizarre to me. Does that ring any, like, th- that sounds a little crazy. Where that sounds crimes like Black will- Mirror. Yeah, yeah <laughs> dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the problem with these algorithms is that they're influenced and they're fed crime rates from past crime past crimes, which, again, disproportionately impact black communities and, uh, you know, communities of color. Um, Police will then use these AI reports that are, when you feed something like an AI a piece of information, all the information that it will Mm -hmm. spit back at you is based on those pieces of information. So police departments that have uh, crime rates that largely disproportionately impact uh, black and Latino communities will feed reports to this AI. And of course, the AI will spit something out that says the same thing, um, Mm -hmm. leading to police doubling down on communities, leading to over-policing. And um, you create a system that's already exasperated by so many of the problems that already exist. Yeah. And actually, uh, just to to hop in on that in terms of algorithms, I remember when I first took a class on game theory in college, it was an international politics class and it focused heavily on game theory. My teacher at the time was one of like the leading game theorists and he was a political consultant and they would bring him in, uh, countries would bring him in as an outside consultant. And one thing he said, which was very scary, is if you have a data set large enough and a mind that is strong enough, you can ultimately predict outcomes with a very small range of error. And that brings us back to AI because we always had, um, I guess, the comfort of human error where there's no one who can predict the future. 
But with AI, you might have a mind, quote unquote, strong enough. And we definitely have large enough data sets where these things can be, um, you know, can be predicted. And a bad algorithm, like you said, can lead to so many social problems. Yeah. And this is a little bit of a digression, but there's a saying that I really love. Uh, There are three kinds of lies. Lies, big lies, and statistics. So Mm -hmm. when you have, when you give a piece of machinery like an AI, something that is somewhere in between machinery and the conscience, uh, statistics that we've as humans have put together, it does not fully comprehend it and understand it the way that humans will will. And I'm giving a little bit of my stance on AI away uh, a little too early in this episode, but I think we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, Some more risks of AI, obviously deep fakes. You've seen um, Mm -hmm. the celebrities impersonating somebody else and AI will take, register your face, your body, and then turn it into somebody else's face and body. I think it was, um, I don't remember which celebrity it was, but he was talking And then as if he was Barack Obama and he was saying something absurd, but on one side, it really did like Barack Obama was giving a Mm -hmm. speech about X, Y, and Z, but it was just some celebrity saying some nonsense. So, Mm -hmm. and and I know there was another example. You you mentioned it earlier, the Haitian uh, president. Yeah, the Haitian president. They they did like a, basically, well, this, this is a conspiracy theory. For everyone who's just joining us or who's just listening, who hasn't listened before, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. And there's a whole conspiracy that there was a speech that was technically the, the Haitian president. They say, again, I've read a ton of conspiracies. He had passed away and they didn't want to you know, show he had passed away. So the conspiracy is that they used AI to show him giving a speech that he didn't mm-hmm. actually give. Um, again, this is a very big conspiracy theory, but some of the examples I've seen here and there are, you know, people that that I get ads all the time. I get sponsored ads all the time of people using AI to impersonate Morgan Freeman being like, Mm -hmm. I am not Morgan Freeman. You might think I am Morgan Freeman, but I'm actually using AI. And lately I've been seeing a ton of Elon Musk ones where they have him say crazy things. And then they also like wheedle in some of the things he actually said. And they're like, find, find the fake Elon quote. Right. So it's, it's um, definitely being used, um, again, in a way where deep fakes can be a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh, Elon Musk, find the lie. But, you know, Haitian president. And it's, it's, it's all of these, um, you know, it's, it's really scary. It, it really is. Um, I'm going to write off some more of the risk factors that we just uh, found in the very uh, preliminary research, you know, sphere. Um, things like algorithm bias caused by bad data, back to our statistics point, market volatility, weapons automization, which we'll get to in a little bit more detail later on. Um, I know I went through the list kind of fast, Adela, but do you mind uh, sharing if any of these issues stand out as more pressing than others? Yeah, I mean, well, in terms of pressing, of course, the the military issues, which we're going to talk about later, that's obviously the most pressing. If we have AI that we're using for fun, right? It means that the military's had this for, for a long time. So like when we say like facial recognition, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could type into my iPhone the name of a friend when I want to post for her birthday and it pulls up all the pictures of them. How fun. Yeah. That means that the government's had this technology for a very long time and that's scary. But the one that hit me because I didn't realize is uh, when we talk about the loss of jobs, right? So we, we talked about the loss of jobs in terms of manual labor being replaced, right? Automated machines, machinery replacing jobs are taking our jobs. But AI right now is so smart that it's passing law exams, it's passing medical exams, it's passing business exams. So it's getting to the point that the intellectual jobs are also at risk of being replaced by technology. And that's something that I had never thought about before. It's something I never realized before. You know, if you're a journalist, if you're a copywriter, an author, 
uh, suddenly they can just plug in facts and you could tell an AI machine like instruct GPT or chat GPT, write me an article about this, make it 700 words. And next thing you know, you have a phenomenally written article with perfect citations. And that's something that we never, you know, I, I didn't feel the risk of being replaced to, by a machine until now. And I don't know if anyone here watches She-Hulk. I'm a very big Marvel fan, but they did a very like funny job about this where Spoiler alert, you can just skip ahead if, if you haven't watched She-Hulk and you're planning to. But towards the end, you know, she goes to Marvel Studios because she doesn't like how they're writing her ending. And instead of it actually being a writer, it's just an AI machine saying, yeah, I write all Marvel movies. What do you mean? Of course we have to have this. Of course we have to that. And like th- that's the, the big reveal, right? And nowadays Netflix feels like everything is an AI-generated show. Nothing feels like it was written by people anymore. And it's just very scary to see how many jobs can be replaced by AI because AI could do it better. And that's very scary to me. But suddenly I feel obsolete because I know my job can become obsolete. But mm-hmm. um, like I said, there, there's a lot of risks. And um, there's, again, a, a lot of things that are more pressing than others. But that's definitely something that struck me. Yeah. And to your point about you think AI can do our job is better, I'll, I'll push back against that a little bit. It might be more functional or more efficient done by an AI, um, but I don't know if that it, it will do it better. And I want to I want to maybe put a pin in this um, in this uh, point because I want to come back to it with our third question. But before I get ahead of myself, um, the second question we want to pose or, or begin to untangle. Um, on this episode is one that's very personal for us and directly relates to Adela's point about like somebody AI doing our jobs better, doing the things that we're passionate about, law school and religious, uh, religious freedom advocacy and things I'm passionate about, diplomacy and foreign policy. So we want to kind of throw it out there. Like what does the law, how does the law look at AI and what does it mean for things like diplomacy and foreign policy? Yeah. So in terms of the law, looking at AI, there's there's a couple of different angles. First off, just in terms of practicing law when it comes to AI, there was a company that was created where essentially you have a robot lawyer and the robot lawyer was doing a really great job. And there's been a, a lot of talk, a lot of cases where they're, they're essentially prohibiting robot lawyers from courtrooms, which is just, again, very funny because who thought we'd be getting to this spot right now? It really sounds like Black Mirror, but um, when you hear about AI and the issues it's been running into in terms of the law, first I hear it in terms of schools uh, with plagiarism issues. I am in law school and the schools are always up in arms right now about ChatGPT. There's been school districts that have banned ChatGPT and there's actually one school district, I can't remember where, where they said we will no longer be having essays and take-home written assignments. Instead, all of your homework will be research for an in-class written assignment that you will write by hand. So it's interesting how there's a move away from technology so kids can actually start exercising their muscles instead of just plugging things into a computer. At the same time, it raises a question of, you know, they kept saying, we'll never have calculators in your back pocket, so you have to learn how to do complex math in your mind or on paper, and suddenly we are walking around with computers and calculators in our back pocket. So, you know, if, if kids can use this, then why are we keeping them from using it if it's a tool they're going to have in the real world? So that's one, one thing in terms of schools. Another one is in terms of passing exams. Again, AIs have passed law exams. They've passed medical exams and business exams. So now all of the standardized testing that has gone online, like the LSAT, has to make sure that there's no plagiarism of plagiarizing an AI for mm-hmm. your exams. 
Um, another area where the law and AI interact is through art. And we're actually going to talk about this later. So I don't want to touch too much, but there's copyright issues because suddenly you have all these artist styles that are being used by an AI to create these quote unquote unique portraits. So are they unique portraits or are they copyright infringement? And we're, we're going to talk about art later at length. And um, the last one, of course, is fraud. So we talked a little bit about deep fakes, but you know, if you're impersonating someone, where do you cross the line from like fun? This is just a cute filter I have on Instagram to, you know, I played myself off as someone. Fraud has been around for centuries. Back in the day, people would have to actually disguise themselves and then it became cell phone fraud, right? What's keeping you from calling a company pretending to be someone that you're not and, you know, stealing their information or changing their account information? And there's always been fraud, but now you have an extra way to do it. And the law is going to have to get involved in AI fraud. Um, but again, that's just from the legal perspective and the, the diplomacy and politics world, I think also has a lot to do with AI and a lot of questions that are being raised. And Mariam, I know that you work in the diplomatic space. So what stands out to you? There's too many things that stand out to me. I, I feel like, uh, the conversation has started very slowly in, in my, uh, space, um, but I don't know that it's taking, um, maybe, maybe it is taking place behind closed doors, but I hope it is honestly. Um, but I don't think to, to, in my eyes, I don't think it's taking, um, as much space as it needs to, because I think it mm. poses a lot of questions that we need to answer. And it seems like we need to answer them pretty fast at the rate that chatbots, chat AI is developing. And the fact that, uh, at the beginning of November last year, we had no idea what ChatGPT was. And November 22nd, there was this thing that went online that I think will go down in history as one of like the most important moments in human evolution, in human creation, things that we've created and now we have to reckon with. Um, mm -hmm. The way things are moving, we need to answer these questions very fast. Some things that come to mind is how will AI affect policymaking? people at State mm. Department and all branches of government, will they start using things like artificial intelligence and ChatGBT to collect data, to study data? And will that will those if those two things in tandem help make or help influence influence the way we make policy? Domestic, foreign, healthcare policy, whatever it is, mm -hmm. like the way that um it is, it's affecting things like our policing systems. So that's a big question. Like, will we ever use it? Will we ever enter that space? I think the, the, the answer is yes. The, the answer to that question is like, absolutely, we have to use it. We as humans are afforded a couple different really good advancements throughout history. And it's sometimes foolish when we don't use them. But there's things we need to figure out um, when we start using things like that. Um, another field that I see being revolutionized is the defense and military space. Mm -hmm. um, will we have robot soldiers? Uh, will warfare Ooh. look a lot different than it did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, one year ago? Um, obviously, we haven't had a major world war, thankfully, for decades now. But what does it mean to have grand competition, grand strategy, and global powers vying for that space that the West and America has had for so long um, with technology that is unmatched? Um, yeah. And how will countries prep? Like, will will there be a, an arms race that has nothing to do with arms, if that question makes any mm -hmm. sense? Um, there's obviously questions of morality and ethics. Can, can we use these 
hypothetical robot soldiers um, or robot machines in warfare is that um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of for not foreshadowing. I'm kind of um, assuming a lot, but like, does that fall under things mm-hmm. like the Geneva convention? And does that fall under things like, mm-hmm. you know, laws against using nuclear war and nuclear proliferation? There's just, I'm, I'm, you know, now I'm kind of leading with emotion because I'm really honestly worried about all these things. Um, another thing to think about is like, will we let AI make decisions for us? Will we take mm-hmm. the human element out of human affairs? Will we let a robot or a chat GBT or something like it uh, make decisions on where to bomb places, how to attack places, uh, sending aid, fostering peace? Will those all become things because AI is so effective and efficient at doing Will we just take ourselves out of the game as humans mm-hmm. and let what we think is the better option or the better mediator do them? Um, these are all huge questions that we can spend hours on a podcast talking about and we still won't have answers to. And better, smarter people hopefully do have answers to them. Um, but they're things I think about on a daily daily, daily basis, unfortunately. These are things that keep me awake at night, especially just because of how how fast things are moving in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what keeps you awake at night when it comes to this thing? So one thing that keeps me awake at night when it comes to this thing is how oblivious we all are to it. Because like I said, AI is slowly being introduced into the mainstream consumer and we get it as a really fun, cute side project without realizing what this means for all of the things that you listed a couple of seconds ago, right? What does it mean for bombing places, sending aid, fostering peace for military strategy? And instead, we just get AI in a cute little consumer package. So here is when I want to pivot for a second and call out all of my friends, myself included, for downloading Lenza and paying $7 to get AI portraits, right? Like this is a perfect example of a technology that's super advanced that could potentially be dangerous where you can create images of people based on like 10 test images and create entirely like hundreds of new images where you're not taking an image that exists and putting a filter on it, but you're actually using AI to recreate images based on that image, which is Again, a a, a crazy piece of technology. So I don't know if you guys remember a couple of months ago, but Lenza, which is this app that does AI portraits, started selling AI portraits for $7. For $7, you would get 50, I think, or 100 or something like that AI portraits. And I am 100% guilty of this. And scrolling through Instagram, all of my friends were posting their cute generated AI portraits. And um, again, I'm, I'm guilty of consuming this without thinking of, what this means in terms of technology and what technology exists. Um, I know I did it. Mariam, did you download Lensa and pay $7 to get stupid portraits of yourself? I did not. Not because I wasn't intrigued <laughs> or anything. I thought the portraits looked really cool, but it just seemed like, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to drag anybody that did it. I think if you did it, it was really cool to see those portraits. I don't, I just didn't need AI generated portraits. I feel like if I wanted cool pictures, I would just go outside and take cool pictures. Is that, is that, is that too judgy of me? No, I think that's fair. I mean, it, it's funny because um, about a, now it's been like eight, nine months. I had a, a fan. I'm not going to say a fan, but I had a, a follower on Instagram who um, created a portrait of me, like a, a digital art portrait of me. And I loved it so much that I set it as my background, um, like as my profile picture on Instagram and on TikTok. And this is, you know, someone who does this, right? He sits with his iPad and he creates digital art. And then suddenly everyone starts doing these AI portraits and they all start putting it as their profile picture. And I was like, wow, like 
do I like them more than the one that this dude made of me? Or, you know, like now suddenly like you don't need someone to create a digital portrait of you or even to filter a picture you already have to make it look like a digital portrait. Suddenly all you need to do is upload a couple of pictures and you have these brand new AI portraits. Um, but, you know, it also started raising a lot of these legal questions. And we, we spoke a little bit earlier about legal questions and legal problems that AI runs into. But now here's the thing. If I copy your style as an artist, I can infringe on your copyright and you can sue me for it, right? But now here's the situation. If I have AI and I have copyrighted my AI software, mm-hmm. am I responsible for what's created by my AI technology? So you see what I mean? Because I myself yeah. am not infringing on your copyright. It's about what other people have fed into the machine and what the machine has put out, which might be copyright infringement. So it, it gets into this very weird thing where it's like, okay, are you responsible for what your technology creates? If you have a copyright for your technology, and if so, what is the penalty? Because there's there's no intent element here, right? One mm-hmm. of the things when it comes to copyright infringement is that I, you know, there, there could be accidental infringement and we can get into all of that, but I didn't even know I was infringing because I'm using a machine. So um, you actually can't sue right now as, it, as the law exists. If AI infringes on a copyright that you have, there's really no no legal pathway forward. And this is, again, a very new area of the law. I actually just spoke right. to a lawyer that is having an NFT, one of the first NFT cases um, when it comes to copyright infringement on NFTs um, that someone included a Birkin bag in an NFT. And then, you know, Hermes sued saying you're using our product in your NFT. And they're saying, well, we're using a picture of your product. We're not using your product. And again, this is a new area of the law, which is really exciting. Well, do you think the law has a responsibility to step in on something like that and create a legal path or framework for people to rightfully own the thing that they've created? Yeah. So um, as as everyone who listens know, I am a raging libertarian, raging libertarian. So I think as little government intervention as possible would be ideal. But at the same time, this is very scary where, you know, if you own something, you have a right to own that. And if every other area has, you know, copyright laws, then this should be no different. Um, Hmm. You know, equitable distribution of the law as the law exists. So as libertarian as I am, you can't just go around and infringe on other people's copyrights. You can't. Um, And then hide behind the fact that you're using an algorithm and that the machine created it, not you. That just kind of seems stupid to me. Right. I think... There's so much to dig into here, and in in doing Americanish, we get the the privilege to interact with a lot of artists, whether it's people who produce for us or people who help us creatively come up with ideas for the show and help us execute a lot of the episodes and and little projects that come along with Americanish. And I think uh, in prepping for this episode and collecting research for this episode, we would have done ourselves a disservice if we hadn't reached out to them and kind of tried to collect what the general consensus is or what's what mm-hmm. some of the opinions are um, on AI and AI kind of breaking into the art um, business, if you will, or the art field. Um, if we hadn't asked the people that work with us, that help us make this show. And it seems like the general consensus is that it's very problematic. There's people that like it. There's some artists that really use aspects of AI to help make their art and help in their artistic process. But um, somebody, one of the people we talked to was saying it takes the artistic process out of the artistic process. Mm -hmm. And there's this quote that I really like from a great movie, Dead Poet Society. And it reads, 
great movie, lovely movie. Great movie. Uh, it, it reads, uh, we read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. Keyword, human race. And the human race is filled with passion mm-hmm. and medicine, law, business, engineering. These are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I wouldn't want to say the conversation when it comes to AI interfering in art is a dry and cut because I, I want to respect the varying opinions of artists, people who actually uh, create and help create art um, as a way to as a way of living. Um, but I do want to really point out that the frustration that a lot of artists are feeling right now as they're seeing this piece of technology infringe on their space. Um, I personally don't, AI generated art to me is not art. One of my favorite parts about art, whether it's one of the posters you see behind me or the books or the maps you see everywhere. Um, my favorite part about those art is that there's a human behind them and there's a story behind them. And I can look at that map and say, I got it from Etsy and it's hand-drawn by X, Y, and Z. And this person loves the Middle East so much that she or he, you know, takes major cities in the Middle East and turns them into hand-drawn maps. And I don't want a piece of art that was created by a computer or chatbot. Mm -hmm. To me, that's not art. There isn't a story there. There isn't passion. It's just a command that you typed in and then it spits back out at you. Am I being a little harsh, Adela? Maybe you can even out, even, even me out. Um, I think I I wouldn't use the word harsh. I think you're, you're right. Right. For example, my, my sister-in-law is a graphic designer and she says that she finds it so funny when people just open Canva and suddenly think that they're graphic designers. right? Right. So I, I, I totally get that. And it's funny how you talk about art from the point of view of the fact that there's an artist. Um, like I spoke about Netflix earlier, and I don't know if anyone's been getting like Netflix fatigue, but it's getting to the point that there's so many shows on Netflix, none of which are actually good. And you wonder how it made it past human checks. And it really does feel like it's written by an AI. So in a way, I think you're right. Um, I think you're right. And I think it's also as humans, we're kind of falling into a trap where because we have so much access to data we try instead of like, you know, creating content and then looking at the data, we're letting the data drive our content. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we had this conversation a little bit when it came to the podcast, right, where there was a certain kind of content that worked to get more views, but it didn't feel authentic to us. And we said, are we chasing the views or are we chasing our authentic voice and our authentic mission and our authentic vision? And I think that that's um, something that as humans, because technology seems so smart and cool and developed, we kind of ourselves check ourselves into the background and let technology drive us. And mm-hmm. I think that that's been uh, the topic of a lot of like the dystopian movies and dystopian TV shows that we've seen where humans let the technology lead them instead of humans leading the technology. And, you know, talking about humans, I actually, I want to take this time to talk about what technology is. And <laughs> Mariam's laughing because she knows what's coming because I'm very passionate about this. So we're going to do this right now. Okay. Adela so. is a full-time <laughs> Law student and part-time stand for the thing that she's about to tell you guys about. I am. I, I, I'm, I'm not paid by the industry of this thing I'm about to talk about, but they very much should pay me because not even pay me. I will gladly advocate for this piece of technology my entire life forever and ever without getting paid ever because they're not going to pay me. When I talk about this technology, you'll see why they're not going to pay me um, because I think it's the single most genius invention. So when we talk about inventions that changed human history, we talk about inventions that drove forward humans that you say, wow, how was this created? Usually we'll think of things like, for example, the telephone, right? 
The telephone sounds wonderful. The telephone was patented in, you know, the 1890s. That sounds great. Do you know about the fax machine? Because I'm going to talk about the fax machine. It is the greatest piece of technology. Guess when the fax machine was patented? It wasn't in the 1900s. It was patented in 1846. That was a very long time ago. That means that there were people with horses and buggies and some dude sitting in his house created a magical box that when you pressed certain numbers and you drew a picture in your house and put it into the machine, someone else who had a similar box in their house would hear some beeping noise and then they would get the same picture that you drew in their house. That is psycho. Before there was the telephone, there was the fax machine. And it makes you think about where we are as humans. Because for the last, what, 45 minutes, we've been talking about technology. We've been talking about technology creating things that humans can create, right? We've been talking about chatbots. We've been talking about AI-generated portraits. We've been talking about technology itself creating. Now let's talk about humans creating If you were on a deserted island, and I had this conversation during COVID a ton with my family, if you were on a deserted island, you as a 21st century human with all of the knowledge that you have, you know ChatGPT exists, you have a cell phone in your hand at all times, you're on your computer working 24-7, you are on a deserted island with all of the resources that you need naturally available, like metal, you know, water power, whatever it is, build something. Can you build a phone? No. Can you build the internet? No. Can you build a chatbot or AI to then build things that humans could have built? Of course not. And if you say, well, we don't have the resources, right? Because like, you know, microchips and we're on the shoulders of giants. Talk about the fax machine. People were on horses and buggies. There was really no modern day quote unquote technology. But we as humans can't even build a piece of technology that was built in 1843. That is crazy. It really makes you think about how as a society, we've evolved technologically, but as individuals, we've stayed behind taking all this technology for granted. And, you know, we talked about, you know, Dead Poet Society earlier. And when I think about all this technology and, you know, how oblivious we are to how crazy it is that it exists, I want to say carpe diem, seize the day, go outside in your backyard and try to build something. If you can, try to build a fax machine. Because I know we can't. And I guess it just uh, raises this greater question about human utility itself. As humans, are we letting ourselves become obsolete by not understanding what it is that we have built? Mm -hmm. I'm a fax machine (laughs) stan after that. Thank you. I I think the first time I heard about Adela's obsession with the fax machine was just a couple (laughs) of weeks ago. And I, I mean, I wasn't confused. I think the fax machine's pretty cool. I used it a lot growing up, surprisingly. Um, but I think you have an excellent, excellent point. We should definitely praise the fax machine a lot more than we do. Um, praise I'll be facts. sure to, to tell people about the fax machine and just, you know, passing conversations now. <laughs> it's a fun fact. Literally, everyone who's listening right now, I dare you at next dinner conversation you're at, you could be on a date, you could be with your family, you could be with your grandmother and just say, hey, do you know what year the fax machine was patented? And just wait for all of them to say, I don't know, 1960, I don't know, maybe 1920, 1980. No, no, no. 1843. Remember that year. Remember it. Anyway. <laughs> I think ni- 1960 was my guess, right? Because you 1960 asked me. 1960 was your guess. Yep. Um, someone else I was hanging out with and I you know, asked them the same question. They said 1980 because they were thinking in terms of like, I don't know, space travel maybe. I have no idea what they were thinking. Most people say 1920s because that's when like the, the – telephone became into regular use. But no, when I say 1800s, people freak out. But when I say 1843, 
Mm-hmm. That is almost 200 years ago. That's 180 years ago. Yeah. 200 it, years ago, someone was faxing things. Like, do you understand how crazy that is? Anyway, sorry. I, again, I'm getting excited again. But 200 <laughs> years ago, almost, give or take, someone was faxing something and we can't build anything. That's nuts. It, it is very, very remarkable. Um, <laughs> and I will be sure to, to weave it into future episodes just to <laughs> feed your obsession with the fax machine. Thank um, you. Okay. That is all for our AI episode. Some housekeeping things before we sign off. Um, as always, you can continue to support us. Uh, $5 a month on Instagram subscriptions so we can continue making more content like this and more. Um, personal uh, housekeeping items. Uh, some of you may have read the news or seen on the news. Um, it isn't really being reported as much, but Egypt, my home country, is being um, is experiencing massive inflation and devalue of currency. Therefore, uh, a lot of people cannot afford basic necessities like food, water, housing. Uh, So please keep the people of Egypt in your prayers. They truly need it. Um, And that is all for this week. Thank you for being part of the Americanish family. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Americanish. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive content. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.